listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Join me, your host, Alexia Gordon, as I chat with authors writing cozy, traditional, and historical mysteries. You won't find explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find intriguing authors and quality fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. My guest today is Art Taylor, award-winning master of the short story, here to chat about some of his stories, including those in his newest anthology, The Adventure of the Castle Thief, and other expeditions and indiscretions. Welcome, Art. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a regular listener of the podcast and so glad to be on it now as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, to start, please tell us a bit about The Adventure of the Castle Thief. Sure. Uh, this is my second collection of short stories. Uh, the first was The Boy Detective and the Summer of 74 and Other Tales of Suspense, um, which was kind of a, a, a roundup of a lot of the stories. I've been very fortunate to have, have gotten some awards for my short fiction, and it collected a lot of the, kind of those greatest hits over a period of about 25 years, in fact. The new collection, The Adventure of the Castle Thief and Other Expeditions and Indiscretions, has two new stories that have never been published before, including the title story. Um, and uh, some of the, I hesitate to call them B-sides, and yet they are some things that, that in, in a lot of cases were not in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, for example, been published by smaller journals, um, and also journals that are sometimes harder to find. So it's, uh, it is a second collection. I hope it's got a good mix of things in it. Um, the title story is probably the, uh, the you know, the, 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 the biggest, uh, obviously the biggest story in the collection. Uh, it is a novella. Um, it's set on a study abroad, um, and there's some background on that too, but a study abroad with some American students in Ireland. And as they're reaching the last part of their trip, which is at a castle, the highlight of their study abroad, suddenly some things start disappearing. People are missing a scarf, for example, and a souvenir glass uh, that disappears. Um, and they start to suspect that one of the students may be stealing from the other ones, upsetting the friend group. So the professor and one of his star students set out to solve the mystery. Um, so hopefully it's fun. Hopefully it's fun uh, for readers. Now you mentioned it was a novella. So what's the difference between a novella and a short story? Uh, which some degree is, you know, it's, it's, it's size, I guess, in, a, in an easy way. You know, we think about the short story as as one thing, but there's a big difference between, say, a flash story, a story under a thousand words, uh, for example, um, and a novella, which can be, you know, upwards of 15, uh, 16, right up to 20,000 words if you're thinking loosely about a word count. And obviously different demands there. You know, if you're writing a flash story, um, there are stories in the new collection um, which are super short, under a thousand words. Um, and that's trying to do a, a real small bit, focus on, say, one idea, one moment, one day, one. Um, a novella gives it more room, uh, obviously, to spread over a longer time, uh, to go into more detail about characters, to have a wider cast of characters. In my case, I've got eight students that are on the trip plus the people at the castle, plus the professor, plus 
Um, and so more space to kind of orchestrate those characters in relation to one another in motion, a longer plot. Usually a novella, more like a novel, of course, uh, has also the opportunity for maybe a subplot or two, maybe a little something extra that's going on underneath, uh, you know, underneath the main plot. And so it's just just more room, get bigger size. Your stories are modern, but they sort of draw inspiration from classic detective stories. Uh, for example, The Invisible Band, uh, which is in the anthology Edgar and Seamus Go Golden, uh, brings Conan Doyle's The Speckled Band to mind. And of course, in uh, Adventure of the Castle Thief, uh, you include Mrs. Marple in the Hit and Run, uh, which definitely channels Agatha Christie. So how do you pull from stories that are 100 years or, or more old and and use that to craft new stories for a 21st century audience? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And like so many writers, um, you know, I go back and think about the the things I read when I was younger that still have an influence on me. That's one thing. You know, I was a huge Agatha Christie fan, still am. But I remember in my teens was when I read so many of them, you know, just just devouring those reading Sherlock Holmes then. And in a, another way, outside of the cozies, you know, reading Chandler and Hammett. What's interesting is these many years later, I teach at George Mason University and I teach at least once a year a big survey course in some area of crime fiction. Um, so one I did recently was Women of Mystery. Going back and revisiting Nancy Drew, revisiting Agatha Christie, revisiting some of the domestic suspense. So I say all this to say that it's not only from my youth, but also from now that I find myself immersed in a lot of the classics from a, 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 a you know, reader's relationship with that, but also a teacher's relationship. So those do inform what I'm doing. And I find it in, in a lot of cases kind of playful to draw back on those traditions, to twist those traditions, to take some of those iconic characters and put them in a different place. Um, in in the adventure of the castle thief, you know the professor and his star student start chatting about how they're playing Sherlock Holmes and Watson, and how they're they actually make a reference to the Clue, uh, the game Clue. Um, in an in Invisible Band, it's actually a cosplay murder mystery weekend at a hotel. So people have signed up to be participants, and there's you know Lord Peter and Harriet Vane are there. Um, we've got a Nero Wolf. Um, in the mix uh, with, with Archie in tow as well. Uh, there's Miss um, Marple, there's Father Brown. And so in, in that case, it was like, here is a way to, to put these characters that I've loved in motion in a really new way with people who are trying to play them and sometimes not playing them very well, um, but they're trying to play them and I'm playing with them and we're seeing how they're working, you know, in an era where there are cell phones or, or whatever like that. You mentioned Ms. Marple and the hit and run. I do want to give a, a little shout out to that one. This is a case where uh, an older woman who is struggling with some aging issues. Um, it, it's actually her name is Marple. She is a widow, so she's a Mrs. Marple. Um, but her her um, her situation is, is that she's been involved in a hit and run and she's gotten some of the details wrong about it. Um, she was a victim of the hit and run, but she got the details wrong and her friends uh, are joking with her being Miss Marple and trying to solve the case. And she's like back and forth with that. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Am I defined by this? And yet I want to be as smart and savvy as Miss Marple was in her older years. And so it's more than just playfulness to me. It is in a lot of ways, a way of looking 
at these characters and having them inform and give weight to the stories that I'm trying to write. I know that's a long answer. I know it went in a lot of directions, but but there's several reasons I, 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 I'm drawn to that. Uh, actually, that was a, that was an, an excellent answer. Um, and I'm actually going to uh, jump ahead to another of my questions that, that relates to that. Uh, as you mentioned, you don't just write fiction, you teach it at the university level. Mm-hmm. Um, and your courses use crime fiction, as you say, as a, a subject matter for academic study. Um, sidebar, I'm completely jealous. I totally wish that when I was in college, I could have taken a course on reading and analyzing mysteries for college credit, but that's just a side note. My question is, and you, you've been alluding to it, what makes crime fiction a good subject for serious study? You know, What, what does it tell us about those big pictures and, and common themes that, that scholars are aiming to, to uncover? Oh, sure. Um, you know, this is it's a great question. And I, uh, I came to the graduate MFA program at Mason. And as part of that, I was was teaching some of those, you know, comp courses. You got to teach a lit course and, and, and this sort of thing. When I actually came on the faculty, I was as I was teaching lit courses, I was using one of these big literature handbooks, you know, and we'll do a little bit of poetry and a little bit of fiction, a little bit of nonfiction and, and all like that. And then one time I decided one semester, I was like, you know, I love crime fiction. Let me do something with I think it was the mystery short story at that point. Now, I'm in one classroom and one of my colleagues is in the next classroom at the same time. And she comes around at the end of class and she says, what are you doing in there? Not accusatory, though it sounds accusatory, but what are you doing in there? She said, I can't get my students to talk at all. And through the wall, we hear all these great conversations and real energy and real. And I was like, well, teaching crime fiction. Um, To me, that pointed out that um, I could get my students engaged. These are students who, in many cases, have not read a lot of crime fiction, but they're aware of it from what they watch on TV. You know, they've they've watched Law and Order. Um, They've watched Criminal Minds. They've watched, I don't even know what some of the the shows are right now. Um, But they've got that as part of their cultural knowledge. And so diving into this and learning about the history of a genre, how it changes, how it evolves over time, lets us know about the way that genre works and about the way that writers deal with those traditions. But crime fiction as well um, is something that, that, that both reflects and engages with the times in which it is written. So when I teach women of mystery and I'm looking back at C.L. Perkis and Loveday Brooke, written at the same time as Sherlock Holmes, what were women reading at that time different than men? What were women writing at that time? And how did it reflect something about the values, the roles, responsibilities women were supposed to have, and some of the challenges to those? We can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot from Nancy Drew, talk about a cultural document and one that continues to change. We learn a lot about post-war England from reading you know, Agatha Christie's A Murder is Announced, uh, about rationing, about immigration, about attitudes toward foreigners. Um, and right up to the present when we can, you know, we can can look at works that are dealing with class inequality, with racial inequality, with these are the themes that crime fiction deals with, either explicitly or implicitly. And we as readers can dig deep into that. And so you can do the same thing there as you could do with Faulkner or Hawthorne or you know whoever some of these classics that might generally be taught in in a lit class. And and how do you select the works that you're going to use in a class? I mean, there there are, you know, 
with the Victorian era, at least you can find uh, crime fiction dating back to then, probably before that. Um, I'm, I'm not the expert, so I don't know, but um, that's, that's a lot to pick from, you know, in order to, to you know, create, to craft a force. Sure, it is. Um, and a lot of it is, and uh, we, you know, if I teach a Sherlock Holmes course, which I do, um, some of it is let's sample a couple of the novels, you know, read Study in Scarlet, and we read Hound of the Baskervilles, and then we read a selection of some of the well-known stories and some of the ones that seem important. The one where, spoiler alert, Holmes dies, the one where, spoiler alert, he comes back. Um, you know, some of that is, is kind of shaped um, just by the canon. Uh, and then with Sherlock Holmes, we're also looking at adaptations. We're looking at pastiches, you know, what writers have done with this character beyond. And so by the end of the Sherlock Holmes section, I, I brought Laurie King in to talk about what she's doing with her series. And so we try to bring it up to the present. With Women of Mystery, um, with the the some of the 19th century works we do, I do focus on short stories, trying to hit some of the, the key uh, stories that were popular at the time, you know, here's the first, supposedly the first um, detective story by a woman in an American magazine. Here's the first story by an African-American woman in an American magazine that is a crime story. Here is, so there's that. And then it's more representative. You've got to have an Agatha Christie in there. You've got to have Nancy Drew in there first. Um, survey some domestic suspense to give a sense of what mid-century, how that shaped domestic suspense and reflected that. And then I always try to just bury it up and get, you know, some um, some new writer in, um, a, a contemporary writer, it had Laura Lippmann. Um, and and it's, it's like, what is going on right now? And the good thing about that is I can ask those authors, and this is the great thing about our mystery community, I can talk to those authors and say, can you zoom into class? Can you can you come in in person and talk to the class? That's something that really enhances the, the student's understanding of how literature works, how authors work, and, and what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome that you offer um, students that, that opportunity um, and that you certainly recognize that crime fiction is academic worthy. Uh, and sort of along those lines, pivoting back to your own works for a minute, uh, Martin Edwards, who is well known himself for his scholarly works on classic detective fiction. And he oh my gosh, yeah. sort of heads up the uh, entire British Library Crime Classics series. Um, he wrote the introduction to The Adventure of the Castle Thief. Um, he wrote, uh, one of the gifts that Art and Stanley Ellen share is the ability to use the flexibility of the short story form so as to achieve stunning effects. Uh, so Two questions. Uh, who was Stanley Ellen and why do you admire him? Uh, and the second question is, uh, tell us a bit about the short story form, because it is it is an art form, uh, not as some, you know, mistakenly claim to sort of practice for writing a novel. I mean, it's a completely different thing, uh, genre, and you can't just go into it thinking, oh, this will be easy, because there's nothing easy about writing a short story. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, and I, I appreciate the, the I'm, I'm grateful for the shout out to Martin, and I'm so grateful for his generous introduction. Uh, Martin was the, maybe still is, the head of the Detection Club, was the head of the Crime Writers Association. It's, I mean, he's he is, is legendary in terms of, of British uh, crime fiction, particularly. Um, so his, his, his kind words are, are much appreciated, uh, particularly with the 
the comparison to Stanley Ellen, who is, you know, just one of the most amazing short story writers ever in the mystery genre. Um, he published over a period of maybe 50 years or so, um, about a story a year in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Not that he didn't have a story elsewhere, but that was kind of his progress. And I mentioned a story a year because they were super well crafted. He wrote novels as well. He won the Edgar for a novel called The Eighth Circle. But the short stories is where he's best known, a master craftsman. And and there's something about his, his very classical kind of short story telling, but with a lot of twists. Um, a story like The House Party, for example, well, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, has this almost supernatural feel to all of it. And it and it was a, a adapted for, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but it may have been Twilight Zone. But in either case, that Twilight Zone gives a sense of the feel for it. So even though he was writing traditional kind of crime fiction at times, he was experimental in other ways with form and structure. And that has been an influence on me. You know, what can the short story do? I do... Uh, try at times to tell what we think of as a as a more straightforward, linear story, sometimes a clue-driven story as well, speaking of traditional mysteries. Uh, but in other cases, as with Ms. Marple and the hit and run, as you mentioned, I do try to play with structure in different ways. Um, that story originally was a 10,000-word short story. And I remember reading it to uh, some, I was going to, I was going to give a reading and I was drafting this story as part of a reading. And I was like, I'm going to read a section of this. And as I read it to my sample audience, my girlfriend at the time and my brother, they were both bored. I could look and tell they were bored. And I was like, this is not working. I eventually took it back and I reworked it in kind of an interesting way. There are three like sections that are more like scenes. And then there are several sort of listing sections, you know, four clues, three memories, a forget exactly how it works, but bullet pointed. And so I took that 10,000 word story and now it's a little over 2000 words. Um, so cut a lot out of it, but tried to keep the, um, keep the energy, the, the, keep the sections and the parts that had energy and foreground those for the reader and then allow the reader to begin to put some things together themselves. I bring all that up because I think that a short story uh, relies on economy, and efficiency and focus. Uh, I, I was very fortunate to write the um, essay on short fiction for the new Mystery Writers of America, How to Write a Mystery Anthology. And those are the words I focus on there. It is not the same as writing a novel, which may be accumulation, more subplots, more characters, more troubles. Instead, it's a process of subtraction. You know, how do we cut this down to keep the focus, to have one, you know, one part of a description, stand in for the full description, you know, get the right detail that's going to do a lot more, get the line of dialogue that is going to move the plot ahead, reveal something about the character. Everything's got to do a little more. And so it's, um, it's a challenge. Uh, it, 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 it can be a challenge, but it's also a challenge that I really enjoy. And that's why I'm, I'm drawn to the short story form. Another thing that I think would be challenging in The Adventure of the Castle Thief, you include 13 stories. That's 13 plots. You know, unlike a, a novel where, yeah, it's got a lot of chapters, but they're all chapters in support of one plot. You have to come up with a different plot for each story, and you can't have just two of them unless maybe they're two novellas. Uh, so how, how, do you, how do you do 
do that? How do you come up with so many different plots um, and and turn them into a story that does all the things that that you know you just described it having to do? I know in the acknowledgement section you mentioned that your your son gives you some plot ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know, it's I'm basically. Uh, I would be better off to take some of these and make novels out of them. Uh, you know, it would it would make more sense if I'm going to spend as much time as I do crafting a character, getting a situation, following it through to to take it out further. But a lot of times, my mind doesn't think that way. I've got an idea that that um, that comes to me. It's it seems to be something which can be handled in uh, and, and dealt with in a in a in a shorter form, and I, I, I tend to tend to just work at that length. And as I said, that length can be a thousand words or it can be 5,000 words or it can be 10, but somewhere in that, in that, in that kind of range is, is where I seem to, to work best. Um, I don't feel like it's wasting an idea to just have it as a short story. Um, But the ideas, you know, do come from the plots do come from various places. You mentioned, you know, my son, it's, he's a, it's always an inspiration in terms of process as well, but dreams, travel, um, uh, other stories can prompt me to, to think about how would I have twisted that differently? How would I take it in a different direction? Um, the title story to adventure, the castle thief was actually inspired by uh, a, a study abroad that I led for students at George Mason uh, when my son was, had just turned one and I went away for about three weeks for a winter term. Um, it, you know, none of the characters that are in the story are obviously not based on any of the students that I had, but the sense of community and friendship of the way that they came together, of the the sense of of closeness and a shared experience, and the settings themselves. We stayed in a castle on our trip. That castle was an inspiration to the story, um, and. Uh, and and it and it seemed to work as a story. I don't know that it has the weight if it was going to try to be a full novel, but as a novella, I think it's it's uh, I think it works. So that's a roundabout way of of answering this. But you know, ideas come from a lot of places. Uh, sometimes they're not fully, uh, you know, fully uh, plots as much as they are a character in a situation with a crisis and and something revealing about them. Um, but whatever comes up, it seems to be the time, uh, it seems to be the structure that I'm drawn toward is the short form. And how do you select which of your stories go into a single anthology? Because uh, you know, I know you don't just randomly, or I shouldn't say I know you don't, but I'm assuming you don't <laughs> randomly just, you know, pick things and throw them in there and say, hey, take take this dozen and, and see how it works. I'm, I'm sure there's some some process to selecting which ones go together between two covers. There is, you know, I mentioned the boy detective in summer of 74 and the way that that was kind of a sort of a greatest hits, you know, it included all the stories that had won the, the Edgar winning story, the story, all the stories that had won Agatha's and, 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 and McCavity's. And so that kind of was, you know, came together in terms of, of, of that greatest hits sort of idea. Um, however, structuring it was a, a little more difficult. It's actually structured from youth to age, if you were to, to look at that, um, at, at that book, you know, some of the, the, the title story is, is set a bunch of kids who are like playing Encyclopedia Brown and trying to solve a, a crime and getting over their heads. Um, and the, you know, the, some of the latter stories deal with, with characters who are, are, 
facing, you know, some sort of crisis with aging. Um, so that that was part of the structure. With the new book, um, I, I always try to have at the as a first story something kind of short, almost like if we're thinking in terms of of a meal, the amuse bouche. You know, let's get a little something to give us a taste to to introduce some themes and things. And with this one, it does go from light to dark. Um, the the title uh, novella for the new collection is a more traditional mystery. Uh, it is lighter. Um, you know, it is uh, even think of perhaps a cozy since we're obviously the cozy corner. Um, as the stories go on, they do get darker. And and that was, you know, a concern as I put this this collection together is are there readers who are fans of my more traditional and lighter work who, as they progress through this anthology, this collection are going to be like, ooh, that's, that's getting dark. And then I have people who admire some of my more darker stories, my noir stories. Um, they may not as much enjoy the lighter ones, but as it gets, as it gets darker, they, you know, they're going to, they're going to like more of that. So light to dark is, is the way this one was arranged. Um, Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they'll enjoy all of them because even if, uh, you know, say a a cozy or traditional reader isn't a fan of noir subject matter, it's still interesting to see how you did play with the structure of these stories and go from the more traditional, you know, students on a trip solving uh, a series of of thefts in Ireland to some of the the more uh, experimental structures, uh, you know, using uh, different like, you know, text messages and computer messages and things like Mm -hmm. that in the the different forms. So I Personally, I think uh, everyone will find something to enjoy, even if it's just an in-depth look at, as we talked about, the flexibility of the short story structure. Um, well, you know, I hope so. And it, it brings up the idea, you know, when I read, I read very widely uh, myself. And I always wonder if other readers are as Catholic in their tastes, you know, that they read widely or how focused they are in certain ways. And that, that that's maybe not a question we can really answer, but it is one that I, that I always think about, you know, how, how do people read and do the people read like I do, which is just whatever, whatever's next. And uh, this isn't exactly a, a question. It's uh, more of a, uh, please tell us about, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about how people read. Tell us a little bit about how uh, people publish, uh, specifically Crippen and, and Landrew. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, yep. They they published your previous anthology. Um, they seem to specialize in short stories. They, they offer a subscription service. They seem like a very um, atypical publisher um, in a special way. Yeah, um, you know Jeff uh, Jeff Marks, um, who is uh, a, you know a writer both nonfiction and fiction himself, uh, is now the kind of the head uh, of of the of Crippen and Landrew, of the publisher. Um, it was started by Doug Green uh, down in Norfolk, Virginia. Gosh, many years ago. I, I don't remember the the actual date, but you know several decades back. And you know as a press which was going to specialize in short mystery fiction, uh, both classic and contemporary. So there are collections that. You know, our uh, Edith Maxwell has a collection coming out later this year. Uh, Elaine Veets has had a collection with Crippen and Landrew. Uh, S.J. Razan has had one. But they also uh, are re- republishing and packaging things from the past that maybe aren't in print these days um, and, and putting those out. But always short fiction, always mystery fiction. Um, and the way that they, they work, like you said, there is a subscription service. You can subscribe to get every new book they publish. But they also, um, as, as most small presses do. 
they also are available on Amazon and bookshop.org and IndieBound and, 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 and this sort of thing. I do appreciate that focus on short mystery fiction, obviously because of my, my own writing. Uh, but I think it is a it is a form and a genre that I'm I'm, I'm glad that somebody is spotlighting and celebrating. Uh, the, this one's a sort of a more fun question. You recently had a launch party uh, for the Adventure of the Castle Thief. Uh, you had a nice selection of whiskeys and as well as some uh, White Castle sliders. Uh, so for for listeners who had to miss the party, how did you select the whiskeys that you paired with your book launch? Oh, that's such fun. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was of two minds about the book launch. And, and Alexi, I'm so glad that you came. Uh, and, and it was a, a great group. Uh, we didn't do a, 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 a public book event this time. It was just kind of a private celebration um, for a, a couple of reasons. But it was fun. And we tried to stick with the theme. Uh, Ireland, obviously, is the setting of the, the title story. Um, the uh, uh, One of the characters, a couple of times in the story, in fact, it comes up with the Irish whiskey writer's tears, which ties into the fact that it is a writer's study abroad, a writing study abroad. Um, and that also echoes back to the study abroad that I led, because at the time we were on the trip, it was creative writing, it was creative nonfiction. And so many of the students who were there, and they were all old enough, of course, you know, these are, are, are undergrad grad students, um, were like, we have to get writer's tears just because of the name. And, uh, and that was that was one of the big souvenirs to enjoy there and, and bring back. Needless to say, I wanted to get a whiskey tasting. And so Writer's Tears was one of the ones that I got thematically. But when I went to the store, also um, Napo Castle, and I did figure out how to pronounce that, Napo Castle, um, is, is has a castle right there on it. And I was like, that's a nice tie-in. And the reviews have been good for both of them. So... I set that up and, and people got to, to sample a little bit of each. Uh, my wife and I picked up uh, some Guinness and some harp and some, you know, we, we, we played with the Irish theme there. And then White Castle burgers because of the castle. It was a mix and match. The important thing, though, was not the food and the drink, but the people. And it was, uh, it was, it was very, you know, very honored to have so many folks from our friends, from the local writing community, uh, come and help celebrate the book. It was it was a special night. So I, I had a great time. Um, I'm glad I managed to get a few pictures. Uh, and uh, my my vote was for the Napog Castle. That was that was my favorite. <laughs> it was good. It was very tasty. And, uh, and and there was some left over, so I've been enjoying it since. <laughs> now, in in addition to your writing and teaching accomplishments, uh, speaking of whiskey, you're a skilled cocktail mixologist. So, what's your favorite cocktail? Oh gosh, um, you know, I did. Uh, this is too much information, but but uh, I always do a New Year's resolution, and last year's resolution was to to go through um, the cocktail seminars, um, which was it's, it's a it's a book you can get, it's a lovely book, and whose name escapes me right now, the author's name, but it, but he's um, it's great, and it kind of teaches you more about what what you know how cocktails work, even from a chemical standpoint, the way the taste works, and this sort of thing. So I bring that up because I tried a lot of cocktails last year. I realized that I don't really like sours for whatever reason. I'm not drawn to that. Um, there were a lot of tiki drinks in the mix. I do enjoy those on a summer day. But after all that I learned, I tend to come back to some of the classics. I'll make a Manhattan. I'll make a martini. I'll make an old fashioned. The, for a long time, the old fashioned was, was sort of where I leaned. Um, 
right now it's the martini. Definitely. It just seems like an easy thing to mark the end of a day and the beginning of an evening, put all your work behind you, relax a little bit, spend time with the family. That's right. That's where I lean. It's very mid-century modern. Yes. Well, there's a book, you know, and I always I, I quote this. Uh, Bernard DeVoto wrote a book called The Hour, and there's a it's it is a little bit over the top, purposely. It was published in the '50s, but he talks about um, about the idea of the the end of the day and this hour when. And I'm not going to be able to quote it right. It's very poetic, but talks about the idea of you put your cares behind you and begin to enter life again. And I'll try to find it and send it to you. Now, what, what cocktail would would you say pairs best with your favorite favorite classic mystery? Oh, um, gosh, it, uh, that's uh, that is a tough one. Um, there are, you know, there are certain cocktails that seem to associate with certain things. A slug of whiskey for a good hard boiled novel. Um, needless to say, if you're reading The Thin Man, you've got to have the martini um, uh, in there. Um, I have had, uh, reading Hercule Poirot, a little bit of creme de cassis, which is one of his drinks as well. And it actually goes really well with with reading Poirot. So um, so I do, I do actually, I, I do have at times thought actively about what drink to pair with what book. But I don't know that, I don't know that there's one across the board. It just seems to be what meets the, 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 the tone and the feel of a certain mystery. And what does the creme de cassis taste like? I've always suspected it would be like super fruity. It's a it's a little fruity, a little bitter, um, oh. and um, it's uh, it it is you know it's got a sweetness to it. It's, it it is kind of more of a liqueur. Um, you can actually mix it in with other things. Um, just a little bit uh, in with even say like you could put a little bit in a martini if you wanted to, and it would, it would give it a little bit of a fruity flavor, um, there it's, uh, but it it is, it is kind of sweet. There's actually, you know, we're here in, in Virginia right now. Uh, I think it's Mount Defiance is a distillery and they do a creme de cassis, uh, that's local. And that's where I get mine from. So I'll have to look them up because yes, we are here in Virginia. Um, and it is a little early here in Virginia to be drinking <laughs> cocktails, but I am already starting to plan my my evening drink. So you have you have inspired me uh, for this go. this evening. Uh, so good. so while I'm thinking of what to to have uh, for my uh, nightcap, uh, what's next for you? <laughs> you know, I, I have I've been working on novel um, on and off for years. I keep going back and forth between pouring with the idea of having uh, having another novel. The one I've published was a novel and stories on the road with Dell and Louise. And I did rely on that short story structure, six of them architecturally to add up to a longer narrative. And I keep keep trying to write a more traditional novel. And I struggle with pacing, to be honest. All that said, I am diving into um, uh, back into the idea of, of working on a novel. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of toying with that. I do have a couple of short stories um, in the pipeline, either out on submissions uh, or coming out ahead. Um, I don't have full publication information when they're coming out, but there, there is more ahead on that. So those are the two things that I'm, that I'm kind of working on right now. In terms of news, the biggest one you mentioned, The Invisible Band, um, you know, is up for the uh, Agatha Award for Best Short Story right now. That came out in December and Edgar and Seamus go golden. 
Um, but that's, that is something I'm looking forward to is to seeing everybody at Malice, uh, to celebrate in the LA nominees, uh, and to be in, you know, to be in part of that slate. So. And congratulations on your nomination. Thank you so much. Yeah. And where can readers uh, connect with you? Uh, my website, uh, arttaylorwriter.com, arttaylorwriter.com. You can actually read The Invisible Band there. It's, it's up as a PDF, thanks to my uh, editor, uh, Andy McAleer and uh, Gay Kenman, and to Down and Out Books. They've allowed me to put that up there. Um, there are links, of course, from my website to the various places where you can um, where you can pick up The Adventure of the Castle Thief. I mentioned you know, bookshop.org, uh, IndieBound. Always support your, your local uh, your local independent bookseller. That's what I would say. Absolutely. And speaking of local independent booksellers, uh, you have a favorite you'd like to recommend where readers can get a copy of The Adventure of the Castle Thief and other expeditions and indiscretions? Sure. Uh, Scrawl Books in Reston, Virginia um, came to the, the book launch, uh, super supportive, and they will have autographed copies. If you want an autographed copy, you can order through Scrawl Books. Um, there are other uh, bookstores in the area, uh, in our immediate area, uh, Bard's Alley, uh, One More Page. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate in Northern Virginia to, to have a lot to choose from there. Um, I will give an additional shout out to Quail Ridge Books down in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am from North Carolina originally, and that was my favorite independent bookstore when I was in North Carolina. So a quick shout out down in that direction as well. And as you mentioned, I'll just reiterate, uh, bookshop.org is a good place for folks if they can't make it in person to one of those stores, if they order through bookshop.org, that does help benefit uh, uh, books, uh, independent bookstores. So I'll reiterate that shout out to them. So, yep. And I will say thank you very much for joining me in the corner today, Art. Thank you for having me. This was uh, a joy and a pleasure. And I like the, I like the side cocktail conversation too. So <laughs> the cocktail corner, the cozy cocktails. We got to have a spinoff podcast. We'll host it together. Oh, absolutely. Or maybe we could do a little, uh, maybe do a, a cocktail companion book. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And um, I, I know you have uh, uh, plans this evening. So again, thank you for uh, taking time out of your, your schedule to talk to me today. And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Art Taylor, author of The Adventure of the Castle Thief and Other Expeditions and Indiscretions. Uh, he is also up, uh, as he mentioned, for an Agatha Award uh, for his story in Edgar and Seamus Go Golden. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>you enjoyed this episode of the cozy corner with alexia gordon i'm alexia gordon your host please support the podcast by leaving a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you listen on follow the podcast on instagram at podcast underscore cozy on facebook at the cozy corner podcast and the web at the cozy corner with alexia gordon.com follow me at alexia gordon author on instagram AlexiaGordon.Writer on Facebook, and AlexiaGordon.Net on the web. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. And until next time, thanks for listening.